0: Hey Sam.
1: Hey Bev. How's it
0: going? Well, considering I just spent the last ten minutes looking for my phone and it was in <laughs> my back pocket, uh, I'm gonna say it's a good thing I'm pouring myself this beer.
1: Yeah, I would say so too.
0: <sighs> what about you?
1: Oh, I'm fine. I just <laughs> I feel like when you when you go back and listen to how I just opened that beer, it's gonna sound very violent because. <laughs>
0: I was kind of wondering if you fell out of your chair. <laughs>
1: no, Sam was just trying. I was like, okay, guys, this is my sound effect. I ha- I can't screw this up. And then I, like, lifted the bottle the same time I used the opener. <laughs> and oh. it, like, slammed down.
0: So, <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is going to be great. We're recording on a Wednesday. And you ran around to a wrestling meat for your son and... yeah I don't know
0: what to call it either is it me yeah I think so. <laughs> you paused
1: I think so well then I was in my head I was like well she didn't go to like WWE I don't want people thinking she did that
0: oh yeah no that's true yeah fair enough
1: <laughs> so yeah th- this one might be weird or it might be really magical we'll find out <laughs> I
0: mean it could be either of those I just mm-hmm. wanted to say really quick because I don't know we're starting off on tangent avenue over here um when I posted the photo of Orion because he won his first match Mm -hmm. I had to google whether or not to call the people (laughs) that judge the match refs because my instinct was to call them umps and I realized that that's not right
1: (laughs) I love that you googled it though because You know, if you called them umps and put it on Facebook, a lot of people were going to call you out on it.
0: Yeah. I was going to get made fun of hardcore and I decided that I didn't want that. So I Googled it really quick because this is our very first like (laughs) wrestling match thing ever. So we have no idea what we're doing.
1: (laughs) But that's cool though.
0: Yeah. We were like cheering for him and we're like, we think he's doing the right thing. It looks like he is. Yeah. He's on top of the guy. That's got to be the right thing. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Go Orion.
1: (laughs) So it sounds like your beer is well-deserved today. So what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking a Shiner Holiday Cheer. Mm. And it is brewed in Shiner, Texas. And it's Yummy. one of my favorite holiday beers. Uh, it Even when I lived in Arizona, it was one that I always hunted down. So I was excited when I found it here. So yeah, Christmas beer. Yummy. What are you drinking over there? So,
1: I decided I'm going to pour it out cuz I want to see what it looks like. <laughs> it looks like a Guinness <laughs> without the head. Um, but this is Oddside and the beer's name is called Hazel's Nuts. Mm. And it has a bearded lady on the front.
0: Um, oh, nice.
1: And it's one of I've never had an Oddside beer, I think, unless I had it like at a ale fest or something, but uh I was like this looks cute and kind of funny so I'll buy it and then it's I find out it's 11% alcohol by volume.
0: Mm, happy Wednesday.
1: <laughs> happy Wednesday indeed. Um but it's a stout aged in bourbon barrels with coffee and natural hazelnut flavoring. So, it's pretty good.
0: That sounds magical.
1: But I just ate a lot of pizza. So it's feeling a little heavy. So it'll, it'll be a nice little dessert sipper, which is why I wanted to put it into a little cup yeah. that I have next to me because it'll, you know, drinking out of a bottle sometimes is just not ideal.
0: I always pour my beers into a cup, whether they're in a can or a bottle, it doesn't matter. I don't know why I like to let the beer breathe like it's a living thing
1: I think that's legit though that's like letting wine breathe
0: and I like to see the color too it always I don't know it helps my brain connect better to the beer I guess
1: No, I can understand that I wanted to do that today too this is like black though this is crazy
0: (laughs) a couple episodes ago I drank an odd side beer the orange creamsicle one I can't remember what it was called and I can't remember what episode it was but it was the one that had the can with the orange pop on it You know, um, like popsicle. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I remember now.
0: That's funny. That was an odd side beer, also.
1: Yeah, that is in Grand Haven, Michigan, is where that brewery
0: is. I didn't know that.
1: The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and uh, by the way, this is We Drink and We Farm Things. And uh, that's Bev over there.
0: And that's Sam. And
1: we like to talk about drinking and farming and make a shit ton of mistakes and tell you about it with our drinking and farming lifestyle. Yeah. That makes it sound like we're drinking and driving farm equipment, which we are not.
0: No, no, no. (laughs) That is not what we do here. Um, But we do like to have discussions that we think. We'll provide some new knowledge and entertainment, and, you know, sometimes we go off on tangents, but uh, there's no BS this week, so don't go look for it. But you can go catch up on the old BSs if you haven't done that yet.
1: Yeah, um, because clearly our tangents are just going to be right here in the main episode today, so sorry, not sorry. But...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then everybody can get a taste of what the BS is like, and then they can decide whether or not they want to go check it out. For sure. I mean, we got to do that every now and then, right?
1: Um. Yeah, I would think so. Just so people can see our personality shine on non-farming and drinking-related items.
0: That's true. <laughs> we are people. Don't just look down at the goat level. You know, my eyes are up here. That didn't quite translate the way that it did in my head.
1: I don't know, it hit my funny bone pretty hard because I <laughs> okay, was good. Picking, I was picking up what you were putting down. So. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, like Beth said, go catch up on our BS. That is free for all users if you go over to patreon.com slash drink and farm. We do have exclusive content there that have you have to pay for. And that just starts at $2 a month. So if you want to listen to outtakes or funny little extras, you can support the podcast that way and get something in return.
0: And uh, don't forget to take our survey. There is a link to it in the show notes. The survey gives you an opportunity to give us some anonymous feedback. And we really do read it. And we really do do, uh, try to do the things that you recommend. Sometimes your ideas are kind of like ours and they don't quite hit where you think it's going to but we've gotten some great ideas from you guys so please do that
1: and join our facebook group if you go to facebook and search we drink and we farm things that'll come right up um there's a page and then there's a group and hello to like six new listeners entering our group last week it's been awesome to see an uptick again if you haven't yet introduce yourself there is a thread for that don't be shy we want to know who you are and uh, and just come and hang out and ask questions and be kind to each other.
0: And don't forget to review us in all the places. You can review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the heck you listen to us. You can review us on Facebook even yeah. if you want to do that. Because we do technically have a Facebook page. So feel free to let us know what you think.
1: Also, we sell stuff. Um, if you go to com slash shop, you can buy shit that I make. That's right. Yeah. And we just launched a seasonal tea towel if you're into I I don't know. I like towels like hand towels during the seasons because I feel like it's easy decoration that I get to use. So, we put out one that says peck the halls on it and it's super cute and it's a chicken obviously. So, go check it out over on the drinkinfarm.com/shop website.
0: Yeah, and it is super cute. And I love tea towels. Can you really have too many tea towels? I can't. I mean, yeah, I I certainly can't either. I go through them like crazy. I use them for everything in the kitchen. So yeah, a tea towel was a great idea. Thanks for coming up with that, Sam.
1: Yeah, I have my moments. Mm.
0: (laughs) And we just opened up a second merch shop. Also, we needed an avenue for merchandise that sam didn't have to make Uh Uh, just because in case you didn't know this we do the podcast but we also both have jobs in addition to taking care of our menagerie so we needed something that didn't take a whole lot of time for us and the website for our second merch shop is drinkandfarmmerch.com and there will be a link to it in the show notes but you can get shirts hoodies baseball tees camping cups, I mean, all sorts of cool stuff. And we designed like a special little second design so it's not just the Drink and Farm logo. Uh, There's something neat that we put together that's a little extra that I think a lot of people are really gonna like. So go check it out and see if you like it and maybe order a hoodie or a shirt or something. And the company is really cool. If it doesn't fit or you don't like the quality, you just contact them and you send it back. You don't have to contact us, they take care of it all. And from what I've read online, they really do actually follow through on that. So order with confidence.
1: Good idea, Bev. Taking some of the load off of my wagon. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that either.
0: (laughs) I wish everybody could have seen me because I just like thumbed up in the mic.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So do we have any corrections for our corrections corner this week?
0: Yes. Uh, Last week, I called the Urban Chicken Podcast Coopcast, and that is not correct. (laughs) It is the (laughs) Urban Chicken Podcast. So if you want to hear the episode that's all about chickens spontaneously sex reversing, that was a weird way to say it. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Then you want to listen to the Urban Chicken Podcast episode number 18. Okay. Mm, I think that's the right episode number. Yeah, something like that. Not the CoopCast, because the CoopCast isn't a thing from what I can tell. So if you want to start a chicken podcast, uh, you can have the CoopCast. You're welcome.
1: Bob's idea. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just coming up with all sorts of ideas. And also, I did find that there was some controversy on the spontaneous sex reversal in chickens on whether or not like, the chicken really did fully change sex. There are some scientists out there that say it doesn't. And some that say that it does. I think I definitively said that it did because, you know, like, they suddenly start producing sperm. So to me, that means that they're changing sex. Um, But I don't know. I'm not a biologist. So I'll just shrug my shoulders over here. (laughs)
1: That's how we roll. (laughs) Shrug our shoulders and let you decide.
0: (laughs) Yes. You can do your own research or listen to that other podcast. I mean, we did some research, too, but.
1: (laughs) I just looked it up and I'm super sad because it's. It looks like they haven't recorded an episode since 2015.
0: Oh, they haven't? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was a current podcast I was plugging.
1: It looks like there's a lot of good content in here, and it's still sitting there, so definitely go check it out. Maybe we'll have to listen and see if we can find some ideas. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Steal their podcast, (laughs) ideas.
1: I mean, we'll clearly make it our own, and we're not urban, so... Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Hey, if it's good enough for my favorite murder, they do it all the
0: time. So. Yeah, then that's good enough for us, right? Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Egg. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I do have a little bit of follow up this week. I was trying to decide where to put this in the episode, but uh, my book club started a new book and it's called The Art of the Pie. So I wanted oh. to invite everybody to join my book club because I'm going live in it tomorrow. <gasps> but actually that's yesterday if you're listening to this so you missed it um but you'll you'll be able to catch the next one uh because i'm gonna stop being so damn shy and i'm gonna go live because i'm trying to figure out how to like revamp it so people actually see the posts and like do the discussions because it's hard to run a group on facebook that's about yeah. like learning specific things so i'm playing around with it and this book seriously, not only is it a gorgeous pie cookbook, but I actually shed real tears while I was reading the introduction.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: She says on it that it's about learning how or learning about crust, filling and life. And she really delivers so far. So I hope anybody that's interested in that will come and join us because it'll be a lot of fun. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Messy Mildred is the place to find everything you need to pamper your chickens or other fowl pets from beak to toe when you find dirty bum feathers in your flock.
1: Choose from shampoos specifically formulated for feathers and amazing scents like lemongrass, tea tree, and lavender. Or go full spa day with their new salty egg bombs made with epsom salt, baking soda, citric acid, and organic essential oils to provide a non-toxic, natural, detoxifying, and soothing experience for your feathered friends.
0: The salty egg bombs and shampoos will make the perfect stocking stuffer for fellow chicken keeping friends this season. So head over to MessyMildred.com and go check them out. So this week, we're going to talk about hunting because my husband just shot his first deer. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's kind of got us thinking about, like, whether or not we can actually use hunting, like, to supplement homestead meat a little more. And we kind of think that we can because venison is a really inexpensive source of free-range grass-fed protein. And we figured out that it was about $1.85 a pound after we factored in, like, the hunting license fees and the processing costs because we didn't process the deer ourselves Because we work full time and have a whole farm to take care of. We did not have time to break down a deer when he shot it on a Monday night.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, but but if you did have the time, how much do you think it would have cost you?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I should have had him look that up, but it would have been... I think
1: it would have been closer to like half of that.
0: Oh, at least, at least yeah, because, like, the hunting tag, I think, was only, like, 20 bucks, oh, and the processing oh. part was 80, so it might be 80% less than that.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. But either way, like, a $1.85 a pound for free-range, grass-fed anything is amazing. Uh,
0: yeah, that's kind of what we figured, too, um, because last year, we had venison last year also. But all we had to do was pay the processing costs for it because our our neighbor, he shot it. They asked us if we wanted it and we were like, yeah, sure. So all we had to do is pay the processing costs. You know, Jared had so much fun doing his little hunting trip. He found it to be very relaxing and enjoyable, sort of like a hobby would be. So, yeah. I mean, does your husband do any hunting? He tries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, we just, it's its kind of unfortunate because we have a lot of land, but it's not super good hunting land. And a lot of the land around us, the landowners already have people that come and hunt. So we haven't been super successful in finding a good place to hunt that's close to home and convenient oh, yeah. um, in the area. But I wouldn't say that we've tried very hard either but like he's got a game cam set up in the spot where he sits and like they'll come around but it's usually like later at night not during the prime times when you're sitting and you're blind so that was that's been a little disappointing for him but I grew up around hunting my dad and my brother are hunters and I enjoy venison as well so it was always just ingrained in my head meat in the freezer is a good thing and my dad has processed his own before in our kitchen. Um, <laughs> so. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But now he just takes it to a butcher and he, sometimes he gets fancy things like jerky and summer sau- sausage and things like that, that you can't just do in your kitchen?
0: Oh, I was going to say I actually have done both of those things in my kitchen now.
1: <laughs> oh, so fancy.
0: Maybe not next week, but one of these weeks coming up, I'll tell everybody how to do it.
1: <laughs> but what what kind of meat did you guys get from the deer processor? Like, how did you process it? In what so form are you receiving the deer back? <laughs> we
0: got it, most of it's ground, and we use the ground meat for the summer sausage, and we also made breakfast sausage out of it and we mix in some pork though because venison doesn't really have enough fat to make good breakfast sausage but Mm. mixed in with some pork and some pork fat that makes it like a really nice um a nice balanced level of meat and fat i guess for sausage okay and then we also get deer steaks which is what we use to make the deer jerky and then we get the tenderloin also And we like to pound the tenderloin down really thin and bread and deep fry it and then put it on sandwiches with like pickles or kraut or whatever you want to put on it. Yum. Yeah, so it's the three ways we get it. There's tons of different cuts that you can get. Like you can do roasts and... All sorts of other stuff. But that's the way that we like to eat it. So that's just what we've been doing because it's super efficient. And uh, the ground venison, I substitute in almost all of my ground beef recipes. Mm -hmm. So when I make spaghetti with meat sauce or tacos or chili, it almost always has venison in it. Unless I'm out of venison.
1: Yeah, it's pretty versatile if you don't mind the taste. I know some people don't like it because they quote unquote say it's gamey. Yeah. um, Which I'm not sure how to describe that.
0: Well, like I wouldn't want to eat it – like we have deer steaks and I don't really enjoy it in steak form. Um, Okay. I feel like I can taste the gaminess there, but when it's in, you know, like I said, meatloaf, tacos, and chili, anything with a heavy sauce and a lot of salt and pepper, you don't notice the gaminess. And it kind of cooks out too, you know, like as it's sitting in the crock pot all day or – Right. So yeah, so that's been my experience with eating it. I actually have helped process a deer before. When I was in fourth grade, I lived in Montana with my aunt and uncle for a little while. And my uncle was an avid hunter. And so he would bring the deer home and my aunt and I would break it down. So like I used to help with the skinning and the cutting the meat off of the carcass while it's hanging in the garage and -hmm. then the cutting down the different parts and wrapping them and labeling them for you know their freezer so I do have a little bit of experience with it but uh, I don't know that I could take on a whole deer by myself (laughs) yeah
1: no I feel like that's something where you need mentorship and practice or at least like turn on YouTube and watch the videos of somebody else (laughs) guiding you along if those are even allowed on YouTube (laughs) I don't know if they are
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that there are some out there. I think that now they have to blur out, like, the actual um, Uh animal. Uh, But I believe that there are some available. So maybe I'll do a little research, and we'll talk about that as a follow-up next week. But, you know, thinking about adding hunting as an additional form of meat for the homestead kind of got me wondering if hunting was good for the environment and a sustainable source of homestead meat.
1: I think it's a good um good thing to think about and dig into because either you hunt or you don't right so some people weren't raised in hunting families or around that so the idea of it to them might kind of make their stomach turn a little bit because you know it's it's bambi you know Bambi's yeah. adorable the same way for me like thinking about processing rabbits to me it's just like oh but they're so cute because I didn't grow up around it. So it's like it's like a mind thing. So I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion over all the different facets of it.
0: Yeah, I mean especially because like both environmentalists and hunters claim that like their side is like the end-all be-all and the right answer. Well, so, like, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, that's the way that it goes, you know. Um, you know, hunters say that hunting deer is good for the environment and some environmentalists say like, absolutely not. Hunting is killing a creature, so it can't possibly be good for the environment. So, I mean, like in most things, it kind of depends on who you ask and what kind of an answer you're gonna get. Um, yes. We're not gonna answer this. Or we're just gonna tell you what we found. Yeah, because it's kind of a question that you have to answer yourself.
1: It, yeah, <laughs> and I think, yeah, I agree. It, I'll, I'll stop there. Otherwise, I'm gonna spoil the whole conversation. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, since humans have wiped out most of the animal predators, uh, hunters normally see hunting as a natural way to cull the herds of prey animals that you know can now reproduce freely beyond the environment's carrying capacity. And many environmental and animal advocates see hunting as barbaric. You know, arguing that it's morally wrong to kill animals regardless of the practical considerations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, it's funny, it's not just PETA that says like I've talked to tons of people that still feel that way. So that's part of why I thought this conversation would be kind of fun.
1: Yeah, I just like to pick on PETA, that's all.
0: I mean, yeah, that's true. That's gonna be a running gag in this podcast now, so.
1: PETA and the Illuminati.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that pretty much sums our podcast up.
1: Yeah, they're in cahoots, it's so clear.
0: (laughs) So, uh, something interesting that we found out was that fewer Americans hunt today than in the past. Uh, The US Fish and Wildlife Service does a survey every year or every few years. I'm not really sure which one it is, but the most recent data is from 2017. And they say that less than 5% of Americans, which is about 11 and a half million people, consider themselves to be hunters, which is down from 9% in 2001.
1: That's not that long ago either, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, so in 16 years, we've dropped like about in half. Crazy. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, I wonder why.
0: Uh, I mean, that's a good question.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's just because more of the population lives in not so convenient places to hunt. They live in cities or the suburbs and things like that. and Maybe it's just not convenient for them to travel somewhere where they have that available to them. I wonder.
0: And I do think that that's one of the answers because I think that that... Was answered in one of the articles that I looked up when we were doing this research. I just didn't talk about it because I, you know, kind of like just picked and chose a couple of things to pull pieces from. And I did not pull that information, but I think that you're correct. It's because it's hard, you know, to hunt when you live in the suburbs of the city. Like, for example, we lived in the suburbs of Phoenix and there's a lottery in the state of Arizona if you want to hunt. And we were like, we don't want to buy all the equipment and get, you know, the license and do all of that and not get a tag. Right. Yeah. And not to mention, we had to travel at least two hours away to go to public hunting land because we didn't know anybody that owned land we could hunt on.
1: Oh, okay. And then part of me wonders, too, if it's like a cultural shift in that so much of what we do is instant gratification, that it is probably not very enticing to say my generation the millennials Um, (laughs) it's my generation too barely (laughs) like the last year of it i think
0: (laughs) or the first year of it
1: (laughs) and i i shouldn't i shouldn't dig on millennials clearly but how appealing is it to most people to go sit out in the woods and do nothing when it's like go 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 constant You know, especially if, God forbid, you have to go somewhere where there's no cell signal. So you can't even, like, (laughs) tick around on your phone while you wait for a deer to maybe show up. So I wonder if it's, like, a cultural inconvenience thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and so, like, hunting tags and stuff are relatively affordable. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the gear to hunt, like, can be kind of expensive. Like, whether it's bow or gun season you want to go for, unless you know somebody you can borrow that stuff from, you have a pretty hefty investment up front right
1: yeah and then there's the freezer you know for storing that which if you live in a small apartment yeah, or rent a have home for that you know yeah <laughs> so those might all be contributing factors then
0: yeah, so it it's probably like a a, a big mix of of uh-huh. things, but it's was really interesting to learn that hunters and environmentalists have more in common than they would like to admit. I think either side would like to admit.
1: <laughs> oh well, of course,
0: <laughs> right? I mean, who
1: doesn't want to be right all the time?
0: <laughs> I wish I was right all the time. I've I've specifically <laughs> been practicing saying that I'm wrong, because like it takes a lot to say that and not be like mad about it
1: (laughs) yeah especially depending on the subject
0: it's true yeah Yeah, my my opinion changes from subject to subject Mm -hmm. i mean honestly i don't know a ton about hunting because i don't personally do it myself and i didn't grow up doing it so like all of this is just research that i've done so if anybody that hunts listens to this and hears something that that we may have misrepresented please we want to hear from you for sure
1: yeah, go on the group and just politely post about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, or you can email us directly.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you if you don't want anybody in the group jumping on you, which they they're sworn that they won't do that when they join the group. But if you're scared of that risk and want to remain anonymous, <laughs> we will correct ourselves next week.
0: That is totally true. But both hunters and environmentalists hate urban sprawl. Well, yeah. I mean... And yeah. they really don't like habitat destruction either. You right. Know, habitat destruction ruins where animals can live, which reduces the amount of hunting land and the amount of land to go and enjoy in the outdoors. So, right.
1: But I also find it kind of ironic that both support programs help maintain species populations and protected habitat for wildlife. So it's like they have a common goal, but the end game is just different
0: yeah it's true yeah I mean they both totally have a common goal and they both call themselves conservationists
1: (laughs) so we're really all in this together (laughs) up until a point
0: (laughs) yes yes we certainly are and we all know what point that is (laughs) so we won't bye bye (laughs) Bandy.
1: well Sam just (laughs) kind of did sorry (laughs) but anyway so how would you say that hunters would consider themselves to be conservationists
0: There's a whole long story, um, and I'll link to one of them in the show notes about, like, the history of hunting. I mean, like, everybody used to hunt because if you ate, that was what you did. Right? So everybody was a hunter. So I guess technically when the North American conservation model was put into place, it was back when almost everybody hunted. But also it was put into place because areas were being so overhunted that we lost whole species of Hmm. animals. Like we don't have them anymore today because they were over hunted in wherever their natural habitats were. So that's why this originally came up because hunters wanted to be able to hunt in the future. It wasn't necessarily because they wanted people to enjoy you know, the species for what they were, um, but you know, it, it, All animals in their own right have an important place in the ecosystem. So when they get wiped out, you know, we don't exactly know what those effects are until years later. Right.
1: It kind of reminds me of the whole, throwing it way back here, the cod episode of Rotten, where it was like it was so good and everybody just overfished the crap out of cod. And then people had to like step in to stop that. So they wouldn't just go bye-bye forever. So this kind of is kind of fishy and reminds me of that kind (laughs) of idea too. Like You almost have to take it to an extreme sometimes before people realize what they're doing
0: yeah and that's totally what it is so this uh north american conservation model has seven principles uh, that are supposed to be followed when the government whether it be on a state or federal level manages the fish and wildlife populations and because the idea is to keep them around in perpetuity so that future generations can hunt and fish them or you know future enjoyers of the species can get to go and watch them Mm -hmm. there are seven principles um, and the first one is that wildlife is a public trust so basically nobody owns the wildlife even if you own the land you don't own the wild animals that live on it
1: does it get fuzzy though when or is it different and maybe we have to do some research and come back is that different than if a predator is trying to attack your livestock
0: um so yeah i think we have to do some research on that like there are specific laws that protect birds of prey um and it's this is also going to be different from state to state um in ohio you can get a license to shoot birds of prey if it causes um like serious financial impact to your farm um but like things like raccoons and foxes and you know other what's uh, what sort of i'm looking for predators <laughs> that might eat your chickens right. <laughs> I, I think what ends up happening is that some of us live out in areas that are so rural like nobody's really right. gonna know whether you did or didn't right right I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah,
1: I agree. As long as you're not, like, shooting onto somebody else's property to try to deter something, like a raccoon yeah. or a possum or a skunk or something like that, it seems like that is a little more reasonable.
0: Yeah, I mean, and honestly, like, depending on where you live, like, I know a lot of people that live quote unquote in town around here they have a big problem with predators because they know where all the urban chickens are yeah they figured it out and you know they live in an area where they can't necessarily shoot at those things so you know like you have to go out with a different weapon of choice to either shoot them away or you know whether or not you hit your mark or get like a which makes like it a little a track more difficult. or something
1: more creative. <laughs> or a trap. Yeah.
0: Well, and lots of people live trap predators and then just go let them go somewhere like super far out in yeah. the country, um, which I think is always allowed. I think that it, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong on that, I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. But I want to say that trapping and moving is fine. Um, there are certain protected species where that's not fine, and of course, I mean we're a podcast that is listened to internationally, so the, like all of this is really going to depend yeah, on your area. We are in the midwest. So something that's true <laughs> in Ohio, yeah, not is not going to apply to somebody in Southern You're California, right. and it's yeah. just not. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's almost like those those predators know where the fast food is in town.
0: <laughs> well, and that's exactly what it is. Everybody that lives in town has way more issues with predators than I do out here in the country.
1: It's so interesting.
0: I know, right? <laughs> you would think it would be the opposite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also uh, the second principle of this is that you can't sell native animals. So it's illegal to sell and trade wildlife in North America. And that includes like game meat, bird feathers and native species. So you can't sell native species to be pets, which is, um, I said that weird, um, but uh, this principle is why hunters don't sell their deer meat.
1: That makes sense, because you don't really think about it that way.
0: Yeah, I always wondered why they didn't. Um, if you eat what would con- what would normally be considered wild game meat, um, it's never labeled as wild because it was farmed, like from a bison oh. farm or... Uh, a deer farm yeah interesting the more you know
1: yeah i never maybe that should be the title of this episode (laughs) the more you know because we've both said it
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh the third principle is that wildlife is controlled by laws not the free market so they're protected from things like only being available to landowners or Like the price of or importance of an animal doesn't determine how much it costs to hunt it um, so that it's not only accessible to the elite.
1: It's not competitive then. It's
0: not competitive that way. Yeah. Okay. Like they're supposed to be free from that. They're just supposed to be like, like federal and state regulations regarding hunting and then that's it. Nothing else can influence whether or not something can be hunted like them.
1: Which it looks like that feeds into number four, which is hunting opportunity for all.
0: Yeah, everybody has an opportunity to hunt, um, which is why hunting fees are usually so cheap as long as you're hunting in-state.
1: Makes sense.
0: And there is a code of ethics uh, when it comes to hunting because the wildlife must have a purpose. So you should be hunting it because you want the meat and you're also supposed to use every part of the animal like the fur and and everything else nothing is supposed to like quote unquote go to waste so that you're not just trophy hunting for you know like the horns or right you know
1: yeah we we would usually like you know eat it and put it on the wall so (laughs) yeah my dad has like four deer heads and they're like on the wall in the corner that the Christmas the Christmas tree <laughs> the Christmas tree goes in and they all get Santa hats at Christmas. and Oh, I love it. <laughs> like lights or garland or something. So I'm sure if somebody's a non-hunter or a vegan or a vegetarian, that would be very disturbing to them. But I'll have to send you a picture of it, Bev. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I will enjoy that. Um, we don't have any taxidermy here. We did send Jared's first head off just to – I wanted the skull and the rack. And I'll put that up somewhere like as like tasteful, modern taxidermy, I guess. Yeah. Because like my style is more modern from that perspective. So like putting a whole taxidermied hat on the wall wouldn't really fit in with the vibe (laughs) that we have going on around here. (laughs) If that makes sense.
1: Yes, it does. It
0: does. So yeah, so there's totally nothing wrong with with mounting the head or saving any piece of it that is, quote unquote, a trophy, as long as like the rest of it didn't go to waste. You can't harvest an animal, cut the head off, and leave the rest of it out there. Right, right. Yeah,
1: Yeah, big difference. (laughs) Yeah, totally a big difference.
0: (laughs) In fact, one could argue that doing something with the head or like the trophy pieces of it really is using the whole animal.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean...
0: Yeah, because like yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. like how many heads do you need? Like we'll eventually be sawing off the antlers and giving them to the dogs to gnaw, on and you know, yeah, the bones can get boiled down for uh, venison broth. Although I don't know what venison broth would taste like. If somebody knows, I would like to know. Yeah,
1: I don't know that answer at
0: all. I'm genuinely curious about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so please write us.
0: So please let us know. <laughs>
1: Email us at trickandfarm at gmail
0: And wild animals are also international resources, which is why there's like treaties into place that that cover them when they cross the border. Mm-hmm. So you know, like we have uh, we have migratory fowl that you know go from canada probably all the way down to mexico and then back up and you know deer they don't care about borders uh, along with a whole host of other game animals <laughs> yeah
1: i don't think they read maps very well so they don't. <laughs> you know i'm glad there are rules in place to protect them for their lack of map reading
0: <laughs> yeah no they don't get like arrested for illegal trespassing or anything <laughs>
1: Could you imagine, though, like, trying to put a Canadian goose in handcuffs? And <laughs> <laughs> be luck. afraid of getting
0: attacked by that.
1: <laughs> oh, they're crazy. <laughs> oh,
0: I know. <laughs> and then, whew, this is, and this seven principles was a lot longer than I thought it was.
1: <laughs> uh, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> the very last one is that they have to be uh, managed by sound science. So we use scientific principles to understand population dynamics, behavior and the habits of wildlife so that our decisions can be based on those sound scientific principles um but i know that that one's probably like a that one's going to be one of the more debated ones i'm sure there are lots of people that don't like it when hunting laws change um because of something that a scientist says and right vice versa yeah yeah,
1: i think there's a balance in that too and it it it's so hard for me not to tie it into like usda and fda and other government regulations that kind of make a blanket decision Usually based on some kind of fact or good intention and it just has like not the greatest effect. But anytime you try to standardize anything, there's room for variables and errors and all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's really interesting. I actually get to tell a tiny personal story here. So my company is a government contractor and we estimate the populations of Arizona's endangered native fish. Mm-hmm. And we put out a lot of documents that local fishermen really hate (laughs) because so like, I'll just give you like a short biology lesson on fish. The fish with the biggest mouth always wins, hands down. And like the biggest mouthed fish that we have in our waterways in Arizona, or I don't want to say it's the biggest mouthed fish, but... The one that continues to win over and over again is the big mouth bass, which isn't a native fish to Arizona. It was introduced into the waters to increase sport fishing. Okay. But it's wiping out the native fish species.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So like, so basically what we keep saying over and over again is that they just can't live together. We don't have to get rid of the big mouth bass because we understand, and we'll get into a little more of this a little bit later um, we understand where the conservation money comes from so we're not saying that big mouth bass have to go away but we're saying that we need to create areas where the native fish can live unmolested by the big mouth bass because otherwise the juvenile fish don't grow up and they don't reproduce and we have to continually stock the native fish in order to keep the population up. That
1: actually makes a lot of sense.
0: (laughs) Right. But it doesn't to fishermen. We get emails from fishermen saying that when they find one of our quote unquote trash fish, they try to get them and they throw them on the banks to die. (gasps) Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. People (laughs) suck.
0: (laughs) I used to have to field those emails. Thankfully, I don't anymore because they really upset me.
1: (laughs) Oh. And you probably have to respond professionally if you respond at all.
0: Uh, nope, we don't respond at all. Okay. <laughs> We're not required to.
1: Thank goodness.
0: That was my very layman's like term version of what it is that we do. <laughs> but
1: no, that, that, that makes a lot of it, it, it makes a lot of common sense to me because you explained it in a way that was like in layman's terms. It wasn't overly scientific or overly technical.
0: Well, and I think that that might be what happens is like the scientists and the hunters aren't communicating properly to the lawmakers. And then that's when like people get really pissed off.
1: Right. They get pissed off and then they try to please both parties. And when you try to please everybody, usually doesn't work.
0: You usually please nobody. Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We've all heard that like common phrase. <laughs>
1: yes. We are just reinventing the wheel today.
0: Well, and talking about that conservation money, um, the other piece of the puzzle for hunters being conservationists is through the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act, which is more commonly known as the Pittman-Robertson Act hunters fund conservation programs. This act sends revenue from the excise tax on firearms, ammunition, and other related equipment to state wildlife agencies, which is used for conservation projects, hunter education, and outdoor recreation access. So through this act, sportsmen and women have contributed more than $19 billion to conservation since 1937. Yeah.
1: That's, that's nothing to turn your nose up at.
0: No, certainly not. And um, these payments that are normally made to, like, state fish and wildlife agencies have resulted in the recovery of deer, turkeys, and several other non-game species. So it benefits hunters and non-hunters alike. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: That's interesting.
0: And the most interesting piece that I discovered is that so while hunting participation is down like other outdoor activities like bird watching kayaking and hiking are on the rise but there's no tax or fee vehicle that's being utilized to increase wildlife conservation funding for these other outdoor activities Mm. So there was a proposed quote unquote REI tax that would use taxes for outdoor recreation equipment for more conservation funding, but it was struck down and I don't really know why I didn't try to dig in too deep to it. Cause like we already had all of this to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't tell you why it was struck down, but all I can tell you is that like, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. I kayak, I hike, I do lots of things in the outdoors and I don't pay anything to go do all of the, any of those things. Unless I do it at a national park or a state right. park that charges a fee when I enter.
1: And that's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, the, it gets covered in, in, like, the the federal parks, obviously, but... Right there, you you don't go to Dick's Sporting Goods and get taxed <laughs> to buy yeah, a no. kayak. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't. Yeah, like there aren't special taxes on a kayak or like sleeping bags or camping equipment or binoculars for right. bird watching um, that specifically go to fund keeping wild spaces wild because like there's a lot of wild areas around here where you can still enter them during hunting season. It's probably not overly wise too
1: right especially I mean, if you're for not obvious wearing reasons. orange <laughs>
0: especially if you're not wearing orange um, but like all during the rest of the year they're totally accessible and fine to go into like okay. safely. but uh, the people doing those outdoor activities don't pay for them unless they're paying a fee to actually enter a place. I do want to point out that there are definitely hunters out there that do some questionable things like hunt for trophies only and leave the meat to rot, which we already know is like a big no-no. But I'm also one of those people that don't use that argument, one bad apple spoils the barrel, like on people. Because I think people are more complicated than that. You can't sum them up as apples. So just because one person does something bad doesn't mean that like the whole thing is bad. Yeah. Yeah, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) I would say most of the time that is true. Yes. Yes, yes.
0: For every hunter out there that does something like that, like, there are several that do things like donate their meat to a food pantry. If they don't want to eat the venison and also a lot of hunters that do things that people would consider like quote unquote trophy hunting, you know, like going up like big game elk hunting and whatnot. They actually donate that meat from the animals that they got to the farmers in the area or to local food pantries because they can't necessarily fly all that meat back home. So there is some good being done with the meat, you know, from hunters in addition to just, you know, filling their own bellies or their family's bellies. So.
1: There is good in the
0: world. There is. I think there's lots of good in the world in all of the places. You just have to be willing to look for it. That was my sunshine and rainbows <laughs> moment. <laughs> Sam's over there going. Uh, Sam's I Sam's over there
1: like, chug the beer, <laughs> chug the beer. <laughs> <laughs> It may be the most wonderful time of the year, but do you ever feel stumped when someone asks you what you want as a gift?
0: Well, we have the perfect gift idea for you to share with your loved ones. Tell them to give you the gift of a Henny and room.
1: Yes, and there's a winter bonus box that just came out. Included in that box is a big one-pound bag of grublies, a lovely laser-cut and hand-painted hen ornament, a Rocky Peck toy from Omelette USA, the book Locally Laid, a fun and informative memoir, Henny and Rue's very own Coop Complete Dried Herbs, and the Henny and Rue Peppermint Lavender Comb and wattle Salve for frostbite prevention.
0: Yeah, so point your friends and family to HennyandRue.com. The bonus box will ship in time for Christmas as long as you order by December 15th.
1: And if you can't wait and just want to treat yourself... Go over to HennyandRue.com. You can snag the monthly subscription for yourself, which will start in January, and it includes an amazing chicken scarf.
0: Oh, I can't wait for that. I know.
1: And you can use code DRINKINFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first box. So hurry over there and do that.
0: We've already talked about how there's been a decline in hunters. Well... We're gonna tell you all the reasons why an overpopulation of deer can have a pretty shitty effect on both the forest and people. Yes, I mean we already know some of these, right?
1: I mean, yeah, based on like the number of people just at my work alone that have hit deer on the way to work, like come on (laughs) yeah that's one of their problems here in the midwest (laughs) that would know bev knows that too
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah in fact my bullet point for that says they randomly trust fall into roads causing accidents (laughs) death and a substantial amount of economic loss
1: (laughs) yes like insurance claims and medical bills and loss of production when people are killed or injured yes yeah that's bad
0: Uh, Totally bad. (laughs)
1: So that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that it's just obnoxious. And another interesting thing, this little side note: when I spent time in Australia, they have signs. You know how we have like deer crossing signs here. Mm -hmm. they have kangaroo crossing signs there (laughs) and they're they're known as pests and they they like want people to hunt them and it's like a dish you can have at restaurants like i had kangaroo stir fry so they think of them like deer over there for the many of the same reasons that you know we hunt deer here
0: yeah that totally makes sense i could see that see and as somebody who's never been to australia i'm like what do you mean you killed kangaroos they're adorable. They are,
1: but they are <laughs> feisty as f. And I had a scar on my hand for two years from a petting Ooh. zoo experience because mm. they're strong. Like their yeah. like, arms are strong. Like I had this treat bag in my hand, and the this big red kangaroo wanted it. So he put his he like hugged me with his little arms and like scratched my hand to try mm. to get the bag. So I felt like a badass having, like, a kangaroo scar for two years. I'm actually sad that it's gone now. But, yeah, so kangaroos, kind of dicks.
0: Well, deer are kind of dicks, too, because they also like to randomly destroy gardens. Yeah. And they eat lots of farm crops.
1: They do. They're just hungry.
0: Oh yeah, they are. They're just getting food where they can get it. So I can't blame them necessarily. But still, I don't like it when they eat all the strawberries out of my garden.
1: Agreed.
0: (laughs) And in addition to all the damage they do to gardens, they overgraze on the low brush that's sort of lining the forest, Mm -hmm. which takes away habitat for species that live there. Um, And they can also prevent certain kinds of saplings from establishing. You know, they're munching on them while they're too little, which Mm is why we cage our orchard until it gets big enough that the deer can't hurt it anymore. Yeah, it's because of that. They like new trees.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Mm yummy yummy
0: yummy (laughs) i mean but you know like if there was no hunting it wouldn't necessarily cause environmental chaos by any means um but all of those issues that we just mentioned would definitely increase substantially right yeah that makes sense you know one thing uh that i thought of was when we got really tired of dealing with all of the issues that the deer cause We would have to do some sort of population control on him. And I just get the feeling that it wouldn't be a very savory method.
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: I mean, a lot less savory than a hunter hunting them for food for their family, for sure.
1: Right. It would probably be like the purge, like deer. (laughs) The purge of deer. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas like Everybody locks themselves in (laughs) and you have like 12 hours to just go massacre all the deer. It'd probably be like that, which you're right, is completely unsavory. And if people don't like venison or have never tried it or just wouldn't want to try it. And, you know, there are people out there, like you said, that just want to kill for sport and that would give them free range on it. That would be bad. So we have a we have a balance because we allow hunting
0: Well, I mean, and let's face it, if we had to employ those unsavory methods, there'd be at least like a dozen Facebook pages rallying against it that pop up overnight.
1: You think only a dozen?
0: (laughs) uh, Okay, fine, like 10 dozen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then there'd be like two dozen protesting those pages.
0: (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and like... Right now, our, our deer population is still okay. It's a little on the low side at the moment, but one of the things that happens when uh, the deer population drops too low is like there's less success with hunting, which continues to drive down the hunting numbers, which continues to drive down conservation funding dun 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 dun
1: dun dun
0: <laughs> you do it at a much more <laughs> ominous tone than i do <laughs>
1: well i am the more cynical one out of the both of us so there we go there's that <laughs>
0: yeah I mean, and interestingly enough, because of this chronic wasting disease thing, somebody that we talked to that, like, directly benefits financially from deer season mentioned that he wishes Ohio would just, like, stop hunting for, like, a year or so really? so that the population could come back up. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's dropped that low from what they're seeing. But I don't know, I didn't find anything like that on our DNR pages, but I guess there has been less success with hunting the last couple of years. So that's what he thinks so that, you know, people can go out and hunt and, you know, always get their animal because I think that's one of the things he's afraid of is people losing interest and then deciding not to continue in the sport because, you know, that's like part of the ways he makes his livelihood. I don't think anybody does that as like a full time thing. Right. Even the guy that did our skull for us, like I think he does that on the side. So it's like an extra, you know, like side gig for the family during hunting season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My brother knows how to do that stuff. He actually did some like taxidermy apprenticeship thing in college. So he knows how to do that stuff. I should tell him to do that like during hunting season. That's actually really smart.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he totally should. It's a great way to make. You know an extra few bucks on the side yeah I mean especially if you enjoy doing it like you gotta enjoy doing it though oh
1: yeah because that's pretty gross process
0: <laughs> yeah I mean and that's the way side gigs work like if you're already going to do your day job your second job had better be pretty enjoyable <laughs> like
1: this podcast
0: <laughs> exactly
1: so Bev overall how would you summarize our discussion and your thoughts in the most unbiased way possible <laughs>
0: So I ultimately, so like hunting is a super complicated issue because it's so emotional for everybody involved. Um, Some people's families have been hunting for generations and some people are just really morally against taking an animal's life for any reason. I mean, that's why there are a lot of people that are vegetarians and vegan and whatnot. But after reading everything that I read, I sort of feel like neither side gets to take like the definitive moral high ground mm. i know nobody's uh, right in my eyes nobody's wrong either though
1: yeah yeah i guess that's a good place to be
0: because like so i mean i 100 percent support game me as like a source of homestead meat yeah i mean a it's super affordable and, you know, like, when you factor in the number of animals that live in horrid conditions their whole lives just to make us cheeseburgers, and then we throw billions of pounds of that cheeseburger meat away because yeah. there was another salmonella recall. Like, how can you I not... saw
1: that. Yeah. yeah. There was
0: a freaking another one. I mean, like, I had to check to make sure that it wasn't the same one we already talked about.
1: <laughs> I, You know what's funny? I think I've mentioned it before. I sleep with the TV on. And I heard it, and I thought I was dreaming because I sent you an article the other day and it turns out it was the it was from like a few months ago when that was the first one so at first mm-hmm. I was like maybe I'm just remembering that and it was like no here we go again
0: No there is totally another one this week so <sighs> I mean there's that so if you if you enjoy protein if you enjoy animal protein then like hunting feels like a relatively safe way a safe inexpensive way to get meat that wasn't factory farmed right i mean like we said organic free-range deer and is no basically antibiotics
1: ever yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> ever for any reason <laughs> <laughs> i mean and like you can't get around the fact that raising all of the meat that you eat on your homestead is a really big undertaking
1: yeah, yeah and there
0: are is. lots of people that do it successfully but working full-time and doing the homestead thing, like, I I don't know that we'll ever be there. Of course, like, that's my goal. Yeah. But, you know, it, it takes a long time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time commitment.
1: But maybe once we're podcast famous and, like, this is all we really have to do, then we can be closer to that goal. But, yeah, especially if you have to do any kind of commuting. I only have to commute two to three days a week, and it's a time suck. So... If you're working and commuting every single day of the work week, like don't shame yourself into feeling like you have to provide all that meat. On your oh yeah. Farm. For sure. <laughs> if you do, you're a badass. But for don't sure. feel ashamed. And and hunting's a nice little workaround for that, I think. I pretty much agree with everything you said. And based on like you said too, like a lot of those Hamburgers that we eat didn't live the best lives, and when you have good hunters out there, like my family and your husband, and they know what they're doing, and they want to kill the animal as quickly as possible, like that is almost more humane in my eyes than a factory farm cow.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when I found out, so I had to have Jared explain this to me exactly because I've never actually gone hunting. But when I found out that even with, like, a perfect shot, it the animal doesn't drop right away. And then I realized, like, oh, yeah, even with, like, our chickens, that's kind of the way it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're holding them in a cone. I was like, oh, ouch, that, like, sounds a whole lot less unsavory to me. But like, that's just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's sort of the nature of it. And But, like, being in touch with all of those facets that goes into your meat production will ultimately help you to appreciate it more and certainly waste less of it
1: I uh, agree and you know what it's a personal choice like do it if you want to don't do it if you don't want to but like you said I think I think there's a balance to it and you're not necessarily right or wrong with your opinion even though I'm totally biased in my opinion (laughs) and I think I'm way more right but overall (laughs) you're probably right in your own ways
0: Uh, Well, like, I think the bottom line is, like, don't tell people, like, not to hunt if it's perfectly legal and safe and in-season and available to them, like, to do it. But, you know, also, I don't know. I don't know what the hunters should – the hunters should stop just thinking that environmentalists are – That they're just a bunch of tree-hugging hippies. I mean, because I guess, like, someone could technically (laughs) – describe me as a tree hugging hippie i suppose because i I do i'm an environmentalist yeah Yeah. i mean i do all the time
1: (laughs) i'm like she's basically like a positive hippie yeah and i am just cynical (laughs) bitch (laughs) most of the time (laughs) that's
0: why this podcast has balance Uh, yeah
1: we're balanced just like hunting Right. other things. Yang, yang, yang.
0: And, you know, and, like, the animals management is, like, another super complicated subject. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not experts in that, so we're not going to get into whether any specific places are right or wrong in the way that they manage it. Like, it's...
1: I think we covered quite a few of the important things here, though.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think working in conservation, I kind of get to have, like, a a little lens into the way that some of those government, like... Regulations end up coming into play, so I feel like I have a little more sympathy for them than, say, like you know, somebody that really enjoys hunting and has been a hunter for generations is going to have, because like their job isn't easy for sure. Nobody wants to make any any decisions that upset either side, because like we said, a lot of the conservation money comes from hunters and anglers, so right, that's just the way it is. <laughs>
1: Right, and that money comes from them. So when they're not happy about what the lawmakers are doing, yeah, it's bad.
0: Yeah, but like it's also bad to overhunt or overfish areas as well because yeah. there won't be any left for future generations. So
1: why can't we all just get along?
0: Because <sighs> that's the way life works. I mean, if we all just got along, wouldn't it be a little boring? Uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, guys.
1: Yeah, this is We Drink and We Farm Things, and I'm Sam.
0: And I'm Bev.
1: And you can follow us over on Instagram, at Drink and Farm, and use our hashtag Drink and Farm when you're drinking and farming. I mean, I realize it's cold outside, and you probably don't want a cold beverage in your hand. But throw some Baileys in your coffee, or just have coffee, and take us some pictures, because We feature one to two of those a week on our Instagram as a thank you for showcasing your drink and farm lifestyle.
0: So drink,
1: farm, and and give give zero zero clucks.
0: (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.